Welcome to Songs from the Basement, the interview show. Today we have part two of Tom Rither promoting his new book, The Humble Shine Kid, put out by Studio Z7 Publishing. And now, to the three, Tom Rither, Jeff Lanto, and Stuart Held, as they continue part two with the interview with Tom Rither, right here on Songs from the Basement. Here is, I hope it's all queued up, but uh, if it isn't, so what? This is the WFIL and the World Today KSTP Channel 5 theme song for the World Today that uh, ended up uh, going for constantly for uh, the news from 1971 all the way up to, I think, 82? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so Mr. We, Hubbard, the, the senior Mr. Hubbard picked that out. And the Morris Code at the beginning, that means victory. Yeah. That was his stuff. I couldn't get the victory thing, but we do have a theme song, and God knows I tried on that oh, one. Oh, yeah. But um, unless you want to, I can pull out a more It all started it. for us, for Ted and Barry and myself, Ju- July 19th, 1971. Okay, yeah, that's about the time that uh, maybe August when I uh, begged my mom to uh, hurry home to watch the world today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a Saturday night or so, I, if I remember right. So here it is, the uh, theme song for the world today. And uh, you're going to be hearing it for the first time here on Songs from the Basement. How about that? That's a solid gold song from... Anyone know the uh, musicians for that? Nope. Ah. It wasn't listed on the record, but that came originally uh, from a record that just said uh, WFIL-TV Action News Theme. Now, they only used that from about 70 to 71. (coughs) Excuse me. And then they switched over to um, another song that they've been using ever since uh, called Move Closer to Your World. And that's been used on a lot of different newscasts around the country. Mm-hmm. But uh, KSDP used that far longer than WFIL ever did. You know, Channel 9 used the uh, 
the moniker Eyewitness News, right. and they dropped it, and uh, yep. Channel 11 picked it up. Or Channel 5 picked it up. Or 5 did, yeah, yeah that, right. that's right. And, and, and five's been using I was it there, ever. and I can't even remember that, but they right. did. Right, five, yeah, and five's been using it ever since, and that was in 1974. Yeah. But yeah, KMSP. Channel 9 had the Eyewitness News name from 69 to uh, 73. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, that's in, and, that, and then at that time, uh, uh, KSDP Channel 5 was using the world today. But yes, as, as soon as Eyewitness News became available, they picked it up. Uh, Frank Magid, uh, the, um, uh, their big consultant yeah. there, really pushed for that. And, and of course, uh, the Hubbards practically worship at the shrine of uh, Frank Magid and a lot of the stuff they're still doing came, goes back to the days when he was uh, consulting for them. Yeah, they, they had done some studies and surveys and they found out that that title Eyewitness News was really struck a chord with viewers mm-hmm. and so that's why they grabbed it when they could. Right, but apparently it didn't strike much of a chord when Channel 9 had because they were in third place at that yeah, time and well. uh, yeah, never worked out for them. But yeah. uh, It's just amazing. They, they were good at what they did. They had a lot of good people. I remember uh, Tony Parker. Oh, yeah. um, and what's the senator's name? He did the news. Uh, uh, Rod Grams. Yeah, Rod Grams. Yeah. Yeah. Rod was good. Yeah. You know, they had a good product. Mm-hmm. He was good. I think I have some old videotapes of him from Channel Nine uh, when he was, uh, you know, doing the news then. Before, uh, <coughs> sorry, uh, before he got into politics. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was there in the eighties, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. he has a radio station up in Little Falls now. His wife runs it. Uh, of course, Rod passed away. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, his wife runs the station in Little Falls. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for telling me that. Sorry uh, to hear about that news. Yeah, my, Rod, my brother might know, but uh, he he works a little bit in politics here and there. Yeah, Rod's been gone quite a while. Okay, wow. I just thought he was done in politics and he's living uh, a um, quiet life. Well, he, he is somewhere. Well, definitely now. <laughs> so, speaking about quiet lives, um, I, I guess we can get into another uh, little music thing right now, um, and then we'll get into some more discussion here. Um, this was actually um, you. You helped out with this uh, this show, but it was kind of more uh, a Barry Zavan type thing. We want to mention him anyway. Absolutely. Um, I have this all queued up on turntable number one. And in the mid seventies, uh, there was in the winter. It snows up here in Minnesota. Uh, Barry actually had a show called the Ski Scene, and he was one I remember seeing it like at uh, eleven or twelve at Saturday night into Sunday morning. Now, I didn't really watch it all that much because I, I never really was into skiing, but I liked the uh, the song that he played, and I couldn't figure it out for years. Now, 1994, after I worked with him at TC, I called him up. Uh, I can't remember how I got his number, but uh, I called him up at his house, and he goes, Barry's Ben. You know, instead of hello. <laughs> it was just That's pretty good. It sounds just like him. Well, thank you. <laughs> so I, I should do the ski scene now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but... I asked him, you know, hey, what, uh, you know, this is Stuart Held. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember you, Stuart. Uh, didn't we uh, fight outside of WWTC? I said, many times, Barry. No, just kidding. But um, anyway, I asked him, what was the theme song you did for your ski scene show at KSCP? He goes, oh, uh, let me find that out. Let me go to get the record here. Uh, if you can bear with me for like uh, five minutes. Turned out to be ten minutes, and he's yelling, are you still there? <laughs> You're holding on, right? I said, I'm here, I'm here. Can you hear me? Are you there? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? He put the phone down here, and he went, like, to the other side of the room. He comes back, and um, I hear him shuffling with, uh, you know, like this, or, oh, uh, 
It's by Ron Frangipote, and it's a song called Jingle Jingle. And I'm thinking, Jingle Jangle, the Archie's Jingle Jangle, their hit? I thought, uh-huh, it makes sense. Ron Dante and the guys uh, who used to sing for the Archie's. Big hit for them in 1969-70. And I thought, okay, this Ron Frangipone, or Frangipan, um must have put out an album i said uh so it was an album and i said what's the record called i want to buy a copy of it he goes well my copy's not for sale i said no no you keep your copy i'll get my own and he gave me you know i wrote it down and all that and it was two years until i finally got my first copy of the record called rated x for excitement or something like that and anyway i i realized that uh for years i've run a jazz show now for a couple of years i use this song as a theme song so um, anyone who listens to the jazz show, you will know this song. So I want to play maybe about a minute of it. Before you, let me throw in a little thing. Oh, sure. about Barry Zavan introduced me to skiing. And oh. I was a guest on that show several times. That's but right. I'll never forget, he took me out to Inver Grove Heights. There's a place called Inver Hills. And he, and he tried to get me to ski. <laughs> and I finally made a turn going down the hill. And I didn't know how to turn. And Barry was in front of me and I kept yelling, Get out of the way, Barry! Get out of the way. <laughs> That's how, then. Then in later years, and, and I, I really took to skiing. I was never really that good at it, but I went skiing at least every week, a couple of times a week. So one day he gets me in a pro am at Buck Hill with Olympic champion Billy Kidd, who was a legend in skiing. Mm. Spider Savage, the great skier who was murdered by Andy Williams' wife. Claudine Langer. Claudine Langer. Oh, and, that and incident. They pulled, uh, but he was there. And the greatest skier in the history of skiing, Jean Claude Keeley of France. And, I, and so I got to ski in the pro am. I look like a trained bear going down the hill, you know. And, and at the end of the, the contest, or it was a publicity thing, I got all three of those guys, plus Barry, by the big fireplace at Buck Hill and did an interview with all of them. So unforgettable. But Barry put on a really good show called. The ski scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And, uh, yeah. We'll play the... What? Well, oh, go ahead. Another bit of trivia about uh, the ski scene as well is uh, that uh, uh, KSTP had to get permission from NBC to delay midnight special on Friday night. So, so how, how the, the program was scheduled, they had the Tonight Show, and then they went to the ski scene, and then the midnight special a half hour later after that, and they mm. had to get special uh, permission from NBC to clear it that way. Midnight special? Yes. Then maybe Friday, this was on Friday, Friday night. night. Yes. Oh, okay. At that point, it was anyway. I mean, the show went back to the 60s with uh, with uh, Johnny uh, Morris, but uh, but at, at that point, when Barry's Van was hosting it, it was on Friday nights. Uh, uh, late late Friday nights, like I say, very sandwich, late. Yeah. Sandwiched between the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson and the Rock Show Midnight Special. You know, he loved skiing so much. He skied all over the world. He actually skied in Iran with the Shah of Iran and his and his wife Faradiba. There are mountains in in Iran that you can ski on, and he he was he's been to France. He's been all over been into South America skiing. So he really knew his stuff about skiing. That's that's definitely a guy who's really likes that sport. Okay, yes. one thing I loved uh, the Olympics when they come around uh, is the Winter Olympics. I just love watching that. 
I've skied a couple times in my life over at a place called Afton Alps. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like skiing. The only thing is, I will not go in the downhill, uh, the diamond hills, you know, the danger ones where you can kill yourself. I never did moguls. I won't do that. <laughs> I hate moguls. They moguls look like they look like parked Volkswagens. I said, no way in the world can uh, I go down that hill. Yep. I just go down the beginner hills and oh, say, Oh, that was okay, me. Yeah, that was that, me. me too. And I would I do that three times a day, uh, three times and say, okay, I'm going in to get something to eat and I'll yep. enjoy the rest of the time inside eating hot dogs or whatever and just watch people uh, ski down those uh, hills. I did a story on skiing here in the Twin Cities. I was challenged to do this by the owner of Wild Mountain, and wow, who became wow. very good friends. But he said... People don't think you can ski when it gets cold. So we waited until we had a 50 below zero wind chill. And I went out there. I had everything on. Long underwear, the, the right kind of pants, jacket, goggles. Not yeah. one bit of skin was showing. I had the entire hill to myself. But we did a whole story on that. You can go out there and ski if it's 50 below zero wind chill. I can say that I did that. And I, I was not a problem. I had the whole hill to myself. You got courage, kid. That was nuts, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, too. Okay, well, that was great. <laughs> Let's do the theme song here, and then we can get back into uh, you know some more stuff here, right here on Songs in the Basement. Yes, tonight our guest is, well, two of them, Jeff Lanto and Barry Savant. Just kidding. Tom Ryder, too. Anyway, <laughs> let's do the ski scene. Uh, the theme song, Jingle Jingle, by Ron Frangiponi.
Don Frangipone, 1970, and a classic, uh, Jingle Jangle, uh, originally done by the Archies, and this is just, uh, you know, done, you know, the jazz style. And that was also the theme to uh, the ski scene up here in the mm-hmm. Twin City area. I know a lot of people probably um, that are away from Minnesota are probably thinking, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, we're just telling you some neat old uh, TV and radio stories uh, in that you can reverberate around the world. And maybe some of your uh, uh, newscasters can also identify with, too. So we're just, uh, like I said, we got the guest in. We got some stories. We're going to tell them. How about that? Anyway, it's Jeff Lanto, Tom Ryther, Stuart Held on Songs on the Base. And this is our talk series and, well, our special guest, too. So there, what are you going to do now? So anyway, um, <laughs> we so we had uh, some more good stories about um, uh, some other musicians, too. And uh, I can hear people just rapping uh, about uh, what's coming up next. Hinting wink-wink on that one. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, we're, the next song we're going to play, which is on turntable number two, is by a jazz guy named... Uh, Ahmad Jamal, and uh, Tom has uh, some pretty good uh, stories about this next song coming up, too. Very first day on the air at KBIA Radio in Columbia. I had never been on a live radio station. I was a student at that time at the University of Missouri. 50 cents an hour, and I had to chase the general manager on every Friday to get paid. I'd work about, I don't know, 10 20 hours a week, 50 cents an hour, (laughs) but anything to get started. (laughs) So the very first day I'm signing on to KBIA in Columbia, Missouri, and we were on the air about an hour, and lightning struck the tower and knocked us off the air. And I thought, God is talking to me. Do something else. Like I had this guy in Decatur, Illinois, told me I, I didn't have a future in broadcasting. And, and, but it took us about an hour to get back on before the technicians got us on. Then, finally, I got to where I, I would play the first record of that segment. And it was Ahmad Jamal's fantastic record called Point Siena. Uh, he's a great jazz pianist. So I tried to be a little artsy-craftsy, and I said, here's Ahmad Jamal playing at a nightclub in Chicago with a great rendition of Point Siena. Bang, it starts. And then I, I faded it down because it was, it, it was recorded at a nightclub in Chicago. And I said, listen to the audience. Listen to them crapping for Alma Jamal. <laughs> Not clapping, but crapping. I was trying to figure a way to kill myself at that time. <laughs> I figured it, it's all over. And I got to meet Alma Jamal about three or four years ago. Kelly and I went to hear him at the Dakota Jazz Club. Where is that now? It was in Minneapolis. Is it, it was downtown at one point. But... Yeah, that's where I went. Okay, yeah. But he got to see him. I'm a Jamal. He was a, a Chicago guy. And I told him the story, and he got up, and he, and he hugged me. He said, well, we're both still standing. I said, yeah, but I'll never forget it. I said, I actually said, listen to him crapping for I'm a Jamal. <laughs> and I, didn't, I got a little reaction, people calling up and you know, did he say crapping? No, no, no. That was I you must that. be hearing things, you know. <laughs> and but that—that's the story. But this, uh, and you do have that. You have that queued up now. Yeah, points the that, greatest. Is it, is it the Chicago version or? Uh... It's from the album, but not for me. This yeah. is the only yeah, one that's. I could, uh, get, well, well I he know. plays that, and I think he's yeah. still playing. I, I better look that up. But everywhere oh, he plays now, he's in as close to his nineties. Wow, he still plays, but he played it that night. 
at the Dakota Jazz Club, and it was just wonderful. Yeah, this was recorded January 16th, 1958 in Chicago, Illinois, yeah. USA. He's so. a Chicago guy. Yeah. yeah, this must be the one. So, uh, yeah, we're going to play a track here, and, uh, yeah, we're going to play that one. It's one and of the greatest not. jazz renditions of any song ever. Mm-hmm. And isn't aren't you all lucky out there? You're going to hear this one. So here we go, uh, Poinsettia. You like it so much, you'll all be crapping. Exactly. <laughs> I just did. And guess what? There's no crap on that one. <laughs> here we go.
Jamal right there. Listen to them crapping. Isn't he great? This I'm a, I just uh, looked it up on my phone. Yeah. He's 90 years old now. 90? Oh, he's an old kid now. Or is he a well, young I, kid? Well, that's now? only uh, seven years away from me, but... Uh, Okay, he's... You know, I'm 83. <laughs> Whoops, okay, you're, no. you're still young. Yeah, but you know, it's how you feel, and all I know is that I'll never forget him after I told him the story about listening to him crapping for how much about... <laughs> he got up and hugged me. He said, well, we're both still getting around. I said, yeah, I'll never forget that. That was really one of the, the neat things about um, about working in the broadcast business, and, and I mentioned that I was so lucky to hear in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, to work for two number one rated stations, uh, KSTP... We went from a, uh, a distant second to number one with that 51 share, uh, the highest ratings attained by any local news. And then at KARE, uh, back then it was WTCN-TV. They changed it to CARE 11. Well, it was WUSA, but right, they gave that to the Washington, D.C. station. Right. But we, uh, we, we, had, we had the worst ratings in the country when we started and uh, with Metro Media. And then Gannett bought us and started putting money into the thing and, uh, getting equipment and getting good camera people and getting good yeah. good talent, although we did have some wonderful talent uh, as part of that beginning station, but the fact but it took us four years, but we came from nowhere to number one in the market right. well, then also NBC at that point or at the time yes. that uh, Channel eleven had picked up the NBC affiliation, they were in the basement as yep. well, and yep. when uh, Gannett took over the station. Management had changed at NBC, and their fortunes got better with uh, programs uh, such as The Cosby Show and Family Ties and Cheers and um, Miami Vice and stuff like that, and that certainly helped as well. That was d- yeah, during the, the WUSA time, well, 85, It's all from that, that from that you know, from, from that whole period of time that Gannett took over. That's what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. But that was a good, really a great news team. It was, uh, of course... Uh, Paul Majors, Ron Majors' brother. Yep. Fantastic. I, I, I have, after all these years, if I finally got it through my head. They're the greatest anchor people who've ever worked in the Twin Cities as news people. But just based on what they've accomplished. I mean, Ron basically took us from a deep second to number one. And then Paul took us from way in the basement to number one. And we had Paul Douglas doing the weather and Diana Pierce. And I was lucky to be the sports guy. Right. So I'm and, pretty and, lucky. And you were the only one of the old Metro Media anchor team that they kept on board for their main newscast. Yeah, they did. I was pretty uh I pretty mean, proud some of, of the that. others, you know, like John Bachman had been the anchor. God, that's a be- name for the past. Before they came in, they uh they bumped him up to the morning show and then eventually he went to uh, Des Moines where he stayed for a couple of decades until he retired. Well, he was a uh, fixture down there. He had a great career at WHO down in in Des Moines. And you know his son, little Johnny, had, John had two kids, Allie and Johnny. Well, John Bachman Jr. is now an anchor on Newsmax. Huh. That's his kid. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a big gig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. So, I'm proud of him. Yeah. John wow. was a great guy and a great talent, but he was the top-rated newscaster uh, in the state of Iowa at a great station. Uh, but Gannett decided not to go with him. They went with uh, Paul Majors, and who's can, who can question their judgment oh, yeah. because Majors was great. Right. Yeah, and we were talking about his brother Ron a, a little while yeah. ago too, so that runs in the family. Oh yeah, the um, naturals. They're both <coughs> both from the state of Washington, from a uh, okay. Toppenish, Washington. 
Yeah. And wow. They are <laughs> so, great, great talents. I remember meeting everyone. Uh, in fact, uh, I think I ran into you at the time. I may have met you for the first time. Uh, 1985, if you were there, and I, I believe you were, I met uh, Diana Pierce's husband and sat with him and her for a while down at the IDS uh, early September 1985 for the uh, muscular dystrophy uh, um, uh I can't the telethon. Think of it. The telethon. Thank yeah, you. I did twenty of those. Okay. Yeah. You got to. But Barry me. introduced me to Jerry Lewis. That was his buddy. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I know Jerry Lewis. Hello, nice man. guy. It was really <laughs> yeah. neat to meet him. Um, I talked to his son Gary Lewis on Facebook a few times here and there. He's not on there anymore. But uh, Gary yeah. Lewis and the Playboys. And the Playboys. A uh, little quick trivia question: the one who was behind the Playboys, their music and arranger, Leon Russell. He's the one who put Gary Lewis on the map, on okay. the charts. Okay. Now, getting back to the telethon, I remember um, it was at the IDS this year, and I'm thinking, wow, I just met Diana Pierce. Wow, I just met Tom Ryder. Wow, I just met this or that. And I went with a couple old friends of mine, a guy named Paul Carlbaum, and he wanted to go down there to uh, take his young little three-, four-year-old daughter to put some, you know, some change into the, uh, you know, the little till there, so they could say they contributed for the, uh, the, you know, the telethon, and we thought, yeah, that's fine. It was raining that day. It was like the day before school, and I remember getting home just in time to see uh, Jerry Lewis uh, sing "You'll Never Walk Alone." <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's neat. Yeah, you know, he and Barry, they were very close. Barry was on the phone with him all when Barry did weather in Las Vegas. He met a lot of stars. I mean, Barry did a unique weather cast. He would start off with the national weather, then he'd walk over from national to uh, the state of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yeah. But he'd always have a, not always, but many times. A quotation or something? No, he'd have a celebrity. Oh, a celebrity. Robert too. Goulet. Uh, oh. Judy, I got right about it in the book. Judy Karn. Right. She used to be on Laugh-In. Right. She was, oh. she was married to Burt Reynolds. Yep. Oh, what a story about that. <laughs> uh, she'd been drinking that night. And, and and she was on the weather board with Barry, and he, he moves over to the uh, state of Minnesota weather, and there's Judy Karn, and, and that was kind of his shtick, but it, a lot of big names. So she gets done with that, and uh, she's she was loaded. She'd been drinking. She's adjusting her stockings, and she looks up at me, and I'm getting ready to start the sports. He says, she was from England, do you like my legs? And I said, yes, you have very nice legs. So now I start reading the sports, okay, which I wrote 90% of my own, my shows, and, and I'm always always proud of that. But Judy comes on the set with me, starts playing with my ear, sticks her tongue in my ear, and kissing me. And, and there's a, a famous writer by the name of Ron Powers. He went to the University of Missouri. He wrote a book. Uh, he wrote um, Flags of Our Fathers. It was a Clint Eastwood-directed movie about Iwo Jima. But he wrote this book called The Broadcasters. But Ron Powers writes in that book, telling about me giving the sportscast, and Judy Carn, you know, putting her tongue in my ear, saying, but that was planned. Well, you know what? It wasn't planned. Uh, that, you I, didn't see that coming. I right? didn't know whether to go to the bathroom or wind my watch. <laughs> Either one would have been okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, <laughs> I have a... Oh, God, I, I would love to tell it right now. Um, uh, oh, okay, I guess I will. Uh, 
I hope the guy won't kill me on this, but he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. One of my famous um, rock star friends uh, that happened in town about 25 years ago, I'm running him uh, to a couple places uh, out in St. Paul. And um, uh, anyway, um, we're coming back to his house. He, uh, uh, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened on the road on Highway 7, but I hit a flat tire in my old car. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. And he's like, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> I think I have a flat tire. I got out and looked. It's my rear flat tire. He's out there so quick. Do you, ha- do you have a, uh, you know, do you have a wrench and all that? I go, yes, I do. Open your, open your trunk. Come on, man. We got to do this real quick. Okay. So I do that. I open up my trunk and he's out there changing my spare tire. Luckily I had one. He goes, okay, come on, let's get off the road. get off the road. Why are we such in a hurry? So I get him back home Anyway, I found out why. <laughs> I didn't know one of the stops. He came home uh, and he had a little bag of, uh, you know, some uh, substance that's illegal, that's legal now. But he uh, bought some, and he mm-hmm. didn't want to get caught by any police. Going, are you guys are any trouble or anything? And that's why that's what happened. So I'm thinking, ooh, that's one of my uh, stories I can tell the world without telling who I was actually with. <laughs> so it was a funny story. Memories. I got more. We, but... we we have the the life is uh, is built of experiences. Definitely. You know, I mean, every day something is going to happen that'll be somewhat remarkable. And the nice thing about being in broadcasting, you never knew what was going to happen on any given day. Oh yeah. That's I mean, true. every day was different, and that's what I loved about it. And I loved every minute of it. I was so lucky to have thirty six years, eleven in radio, and oh, I I when I was in Cleveland working for NBC. And in and out of New York, doing some stuff for them. Mm-hmm. I did sports for Don Imus on the oh, radio station. Yes. Uh, I think it was WHK in Cleveland. He was a joy to work with. Everybody said, "Oh, this guy's," but uh, just to be with him. And but he he liked me, and we got along quite well. And that was a uh, that was kind of fun. Thirty-five uh, pounds of hamburgers, please. Is one of his uh, comedy routines. Well, he would get away with I don't know what on, on radio. he would say things that oh, yeah. i came up with if you said anything that was off color you allow it you could lose your job but he he got away with a lot of stuff oh, yeah, but he, he was did. a nice guy mm-hmm. i just wanted to ask you real quickly and then we'll get on to this i i want to share this with the world um it's just uh you you were still yeah i think you were maybe not here anymore but this is 1978 mm-hmm. Twin Cities had the first, supposedly the first national laser show uh, that bounced a bunch of lasers and skylights off the Twin City area buildings downtown. And I kind of wrote a small little um, scrapbook of it quite a while ago called The Laser Weekend. And do you remember anything, hearing about this uh, thing at all? What what year was that again? October 1978. He would have been in Cleveland. Yeah, I left. I was in Cleveland. Okay, then you wouldn't have known anything about this. This weekend, for some reason, sticks in my mind, intrigues me still to this day. It was just like the biggest laser, outside laser light show bouncing off a bunch of... uh, And I can't get a hold of... There's a few people that are mentioned in here, and I tried to get a hold of them to say, what what was this? What was it all about? What were you trying to do? I can't get anyone to communicate with me on this, but... um, it was it was neat because I watched it with binoculars on my roof on my house with two other old friends of mine, and uh, one of the radio stations played um, music to to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. They played like uh, Weather Report, Pink Floyd, 
Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and uh, some other people. Uh, you know, just space music, instrumental stuff. Mm. We thought it was the neatest, neatest thing. Well, but I thought it was interesting to find out if anyone else knows anything more about mm. this uh, laser light show. It was October eighth and ninth mm. of nineteen seventy-eight well, in the Twin City area. Well, and speaking of books, I mean, there's the uh, the book. Uh, uh, that we're, that we're here to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The Hummelshine Kid, The Amazing Story of a Broadcast Journalist, a memoir by Tom Rither, with Jeff Arlanto in small print under yeah, that. I've heard the forward by Barry Zavan. And without, and without you, Jeff, there is no book. You put <laughs> together right, all the artwork and designed the cover, and uh, I did uh, the writing, and, and you did some of the correcting, <laughs> which was good. And, yeah, and we're, good we team. were a good team. And yeah. uh, we've a lot of the stuff we're talking about is in the book. I mean, right. I did not have an ordinary career. A lot of kids, they graduate college today, and next thing you know, they're on major market television. Right. They haven't worked in radio. They haven't really, they haven't really developed any deep knowledge of the world or the political situation. Because I'm a, I'm a political junkie. I've been following politics ever since the days of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and uh, I mean that's a long time ago. I'll never forget the day he died in 1945. My son and I went to where he died in, in Georgia. My son is like I am. He's a historian. But without Jeff, this book doesn't get done. And, and we've got so it's many true. stories in there that people won't believe. I mean, the, the, the fact, but you did, you did such a good job right. of guiding me and how to tell this story. Right. And, the, and it's a soft cover book and it's modestly priced and uh, it's available. You go to web, the website, studioz7.com. And that's Z as in Zenith, studioz7.com. Go to the site. Um, you'll find the. Uh, We'll link to it at the top of the page. I'll link you to the, the page for this book, and you can order the book there. And uh, you'll find a lot of interesting stories, even if you're not from the Twin Cities area. There's a lot of stories about sports and sports reporting and also journalism, the stuff that he covered, and some of his personal stories. And even gets into uh, his early family history, so his American history there as well, because his family goes back to... Uh, basically back to the days of the Mayflower. That's right. As I mentioned, my family came from England in uh, 1634 and settled in Massachusetts. And my mother, my mother's uh, distant grandfather, Benjamin Neal, he fought in the Revolutionary War but lived to tell the tale and moved to Kentucky. And my mother was born and raised right. in Kentucky. And then, of course, uh, the Neal family or the Ryther family, uh, they, they pretty much... Uh, lived in Massachusetts in in the East Coast. They, they, I had to have to laugh today as they, they're writing this book about about 1619 that, that America, right. you know, the New York Times said America started with slavery because the first indentured slave came into Jamestown in 1619. Well, that, that's a baloney. That's baloney. The Ryther family or the Neal family never had slaves, especially the ones up in Massachusetts and and the East Coast, but none of the writers ever owned slaves, and who could ever defend slavery? But that's—I I don't like this baloney that's happening, where they're trying to rewrite history, tear down statues. No matter history is history, whether it's bad or good. And then, and then, plus everything, every aspect of the culture, is all under currently under this lens that uh, that it's racism, and it all has to be erased and torn down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't want to get too political, but that's. Well, that's how the, with that whole 1619 project. Well, that's how the communists, the Bolsheviks right. in 1918, did the same basic yeah. thing. And uh, a lot of these people today think communism and socialism are wonderful. But what they don't know, well, and, and I've stood on the ship 
in St. Petersburg, Russia, that fired the first shot of the Russian Revolution. What a strange feeling that is. Mm -hmm. And there were so many people thought, oh... You know, the people are going to take over the government. The Bolsheviks uh, captured the Tsar and murdered him and his entire family. And now the people are going to run. But what they didn't know, and uh, a lot of Americans, including the famous Emma Goldman from St. Louis, was in the movie Reds. Have you ever seen seen the movie I Reds? That movie. She rushes over there with a lot of people. Oh, so only to find out that who's running the country? The military. You do what the military mm. says, or you either go to jail or they kill you. Right. And the Not young people today, then the young people today don't understand that. Yeah. And yes. uh, as for regarding this book, also a couple other details. It's filled with lots of uh, photographs and old advertisements from uh, the different media companies that uh, Tom Rather worked for. And uh, <clears> excuse really me, well. they excuse me, hit the cough button here. Okay, cough. Oh. Okay, you don't have a cough button. But <laughs> I coughed in yeah, over yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, um, but uh, the, in a, but I think in this book, it's soft cover. The, the pictures appear in black and white. However, on the website I mentioned, StudioZ7.com, you go to that website and go to the page for The Hummelshine Kid by Tom Rither. You also uh, will find... Um, an, an ebook version, electronic book version that you can also uh, pay for for a little bit less and download it to your computer or your phone. And the uh, pictures appear in uh, in color in that ebook version. So you got print work, book version. That's the main one that we promote. But there's also an ebook version available as well. And StudioZ7.com. Name of the book is The Hummelshine Kid: The Amazing Story of a Broadcast Journalist, a memoir by Tom Rither. By the way, that is the street I grew up on in St. Louis. Right. That's the, a, yeah, the, the explanation of the name there. The, the Dead End Street, Hummelsheim, was all German names and, and, mm -hmm. and whatever. Now, talking about um, things that might happen when you're on the air, I got a kick out of you coughing. That, mm -hmm. that, that happens. And in radio, you have a cough button. But I was doing on television a Minnesota Kicks game at San Jose, California. Mm -hmm. And this is in the book. I mean, uh, the story. So at the half, uh, all of the kicks wives soccer team and we i was going to interview the wives at, at uh, halftime it's beautiful night in san, san jose california so uh the pr guy for the minnesota kicks just a great guy uh he lines up where we're going to do the interview and and i'm introducing the wives one by one but foof was his name it was his, his nickname i can't think of his last name but he was a great PR guy for the kicks. He accidentally stepped on a news photographer's camera. Didn't hurt the camera. The guy went nuts. So in the background while I'm doing the interview, here is Foof fighting it out, fists and wrestling, and, and, they, and they were rolling in the grass and, and calling each other names. I'm trying to do interviews with the wives, but that is, uh, that is a, yeah. uh, any, a true story. Any uh, salty language involved, too? Oh, there was a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I kept talking. <laughs> and then when it was over with, I said, uh, if, if, once they left the air, uh, if they hadn't taken that guy away, I was going to whack him in the head with a microphone. <laughs> but he was hauled up by police. Okay. He was a nut job. Oh, that was... Like but see, we got a lot of really unusual experiences, things happen to you, especially when you're doing live shots. Um, mm. I, I used to love to do live shots and try to scoop the competition. Uh, like I said, I did the first live shot using this equipment in Twin Cities history at a North Star game. Mm. 
But uh, I did a uh, Pele, the great soccer player, came to town to play against the kicks. He played for the New York Cosmos. So all the reporters are standing outside waiting for him to come out so they can interview him. However, one thing, I'm in the locker room sitting next to him doing a live interview. Oh, my goodness, the baloney that I caught for that. But I, I, to me, when you cover a story, I wanted to win the story. I didn't want to cover it. I wanted to beat the other guys. I think that came from my baseball playing days when I was this kid standing on the mound with my left hand and looking up at the batter saying, you know what, I'm going to beat you today. And, that's, and I carried that into my news business. That's right. You're a winner. Well, I tried to be. Yeah, we're a winner, as the impressions say. No one caught that. I didn't either. Okay, okay. Did, where did I miss that? You, you didn't miss it at all. I no, tried. It, it was a hit uh, on the Soul Charts, the Impressions, Curtis Mayfield. Oh. They had a song called We're a Winner. Okay, now I got you. Okay, I thought I'd throw that in. I'm just like lowering it. myself like into uh, into the kind of do, tell the stories and stuff. I'm enjoying hearing it, actually. Let me mention just, one more time for the book. Go for it. <laughs> Studio Z7, Z is in Zebra, StudioZ7.com. And uh, Jeff's like company it. will take care of it. It's uh, moderately priced, and Jeff will take care of that. Yeah, buy the book. It's really good. That's why we're here you, to promote it. I haven't had it one complaint, just... and we, we've sold quite a few books. Uh, if it hadn't been for the, uh, the pandemic, we probably would have been selling a lot All more. Right. But I haven't heard one complaint. And, that, you know, and I, I, I don't pull any punches. I, 99% of the book is very positive, but life isn't perfect, and I do bring up some of that stuff, too. Right. You tell it like it is. No sugarcoating. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of salt and Peter there, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we're going to keep it clean because I think there's some people under 18 yeah. listening well, there's to there's no bad language in it or anything no, like that. No, nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, we got to make it into a movie, too. Yeah. So we just got to find the right people to uh, say, yeah, we'll use this as a script. Yeah. So uh, that's the next step for you. I, I know who can play me. Don Knotts. <laughs> Is he living? Yeah, he's gone. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Oops. No. Yeah, because All right, we'll bring him back a lot. A lot of times when I'd interview these big names, you know, politicians, <clears throat> I'd think, here I am standing next to these stars, and I feel like Don Knotts. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, Don Knotts, I knew his uh, agent, or the name of the agency he went through, Light Entertainment in Los Angeles. Really? I don't know if they're around anymore or not, but strangely, I called them for something else, and they said they were uh, they represented Don Knotts. This is 1987, I think. I'm thinking, oh, that's a big name. If that's the the guy I'm thinking of, he goes, yep, the guy from Andy Griffith and the Walt Disney movies. Yeah, that, that Don Knotts. Okay, light entertainment. Um, he was great. He was. He was. He he was a guy who you watch him act. In any of those movies or the Andy Griffith show, you could tell he's like really on, and he's you know he's very passionate about his acting. Another guy like that who I spent a whole day with was uh, Buddy Ebsen. Oh yeah, uh, he was raised in Belleville, Illinois, where I did radio. His dad ran the swimming pool, and he was my guest uh, on a, on our TV talk show. And this guy, he did so many big things. Uh, I mean, he just uh, he played the, the detective. He was Barnaby in Be- Beverly Hillbillies, okay. but he was real yeah. tall. He's six feet four, and he danced on Broadway. He was very. He and his uh, sister were very good dancers. But when he found out that I was living in Belleville, he warmed up. He w- takes me out. I was supposed to buy him lunch. He buys me lunch. I mean, I had a chance to meet people like that. And I judge people: are they people? Are that what kind of people are they? And yeah. I, I didn't meet too many jerks in, in my career. I guess the worst one was probably Red Buttons. 
who uh, he gave me a nasty mm. interview when I was on. He had a bad review for the play that he was in in St. Oh. Louis, and, and, he, and he took it out on me. But I said, okay, but, but I, uh, that was a very rare experience for me to run across a jerk like that. But he had a bad day, and the heck with it. Okay, so we'll just uh, chalk it up for that. Yeah, the the people I've met, too, um, that were kind of famous people have been generally pretty nice because they're out there to get clients, so to speak. They want listeners to their records or their uh, watchers to TV shows and stuff. Um, I met once, uh, I practically babysat him, Ellen Thick from, uh, you know, Thick of the Night, Growing Pains. Yeah, he was and good, all those. very talented. Yeah, he was. He was a songwriter, too, and from a Canada. singer from Canada. And 1989, he's in town here uh, to promote a book or something, and I overheard it on the, one of the radio stations. I was going into town. I was working at, of all places, WWTC, and I just happened to write a, a script. Every so often I like to write these scripts that could be movies or something, and I'm writing about three of them right now. Um, they'll be published later in the books. I'll have to. Uh, Jeff, you're going to help me on that hint. Wink, wink. Really? Well, you said so five years ago. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so anyway, no one's coming up to uh, Alan. He's sitting at a table all alone. I, I immediately thought, I'm going to go meet the guy. What, what the heck, you know? So, um... I go up there, and I said, uh, you're Alan Thicke. He goes, yeah, I am. You know, I said, okay, well, I'm Stuart Held, and, uh, you know, I heard you were in town, and I thought I would come and say hi to you and all that to find out what you're promoting. And he told me what it was, and I told him, yeah, I used to watch your uh, show Thick of the Night with Arsenio Hall and all that. You know, his, uh, he had a, a variety show, sorry, um, uh, you know, late at night or something. I, I can't remember what channel it was on, maybe 9 or 11 up here. It was on 9. Channel 9, yeah, that that makes sense, actually. And I liked it, you know, and then uh, he switched from that uh, for about a year. Uh, Gloria Loring, I think, was his wife or something, and they were getting a mm-hmm. divorce. And anyway, then he went into the Growing Pain show, and that was already a big hit uh, at this point. It was on the air for three years. Anyway, um... So we're talking about uh, that stuff, and he told me he was a songwriter, and I said, I think you did something for Three's Company and uh, some of the other TV shows, too, that you did the theme songs to, Facts of Life, possibly, and some of those. And I'm like, you're kidding. Were you in any bands in Canada when you before you got into this uh, stuff so heavily? And he says, well, nothing that really made any money. I said, no, but that's fine. Just tell me what they were if you want. Uh, I work at a radio station across town. I'll play that stuff for you if I can find the records. So I told him I would do that, and uh, I still will. Um, I don't think he cares anymore. He's not living. But uh, no, but I, I was with him for about a half hour. I asked him how the people you know that you worked with in the past and uh, your current staff with Growing Pains, what's this person like, what's that? Where he goes, oh, they're all great. They're all great. So anyway, um, uh, it was uh, maybe three years ago. Uh, Ellen Thick came up on Facebook. And I happened to uh, make a mere mention of, uh, you know, Alan Thicke. I met him, you know, for, and basically talked to him for about 45 minutes. I could have stayed longer because no one came up to him. And supposedly there's a picture of me and him. Uh, an old friend of mine said that, oh, I remember meeting you up there. And uh, I took a picture of the both of you. I said, I'd love to see it, you know. But, oh, I'll find it someday. 
yeah, someday never comes. Anyway, um, but if they do, please produce it soon so I can say I, I met the guy. Anyway, um, uh, one of his cast members from Growing Pains chimed in on something, and I commented on that. It was one of the cast members, um, uh, Ben Seaver, Jeremy Miller was his name in real life, and he commented on, on my quotation. I thought, that's pretty neat. So I I um, contacted him. I said, how are you doing, uh, Jeremy, these days, whatever? I think he's a cook in L.A., something like that, or in the cooking field. And I thought, well, I'm interested. I'll see how he's doing, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, right at that period, uh, he actually, um, this Jeremy commented back again, saying, how are things going on? What are things going on up there in Minneapolis? I thought that was the coolest thing. I'm like, wow, this is neat. I'm hearing all that. The next day, I get a robocall from one of the other cast members, Kurt Cameron. He, him and his wife were doing some kind of play, and they wanted people to come to see it when it comes up in town. I thought, well, this is interesting. I, I'm talking about Alan Thick. Then I talked to this Jeremy, and then I, uh, the day later, I got another uh I, I did a face message back to this Jeremy Miller saying, guess what? I just heard a robocall from your uh, uh, TV uh, brother, Kirk Cameron. This is interesting. I'm hearing from all the cast from you guys. So that was that was one so of my... So did you go to the play? I, it didn't say where it was happening. Oh. I would have gone, and maybe I could have uh, met Kirk, I guess, Kirk Cameron or something. And his younger sister was in another TV show, too, I believe. But I can't think of what it was. Full House or something. Yeah, uh, Candace Cameron was her Candace, maybe that was it. Sorry. She married a hockey star. Can't remember his name. Ah. But yeah, all of a sudden I got in contact with three of the people or met three of the people, you know, either through the computer or real life. So I thought that was pretty neat. So I'd like to, you know, ever so often uh, just say hi to these people. How are you doing? Are you all right? You know, whatever. You know, I can help you. Let me know. So that's our claim to fame. I shouldn't have thrown no, that it's just, into this. It's nice to meet people who've made it big. But I always judge people by or what kind of people are they. Yeah. It's are really neat to meet people who are at the top of their game and famous and everything. But are they, are they good? Well, one of the thrills, greatest thrills of my life Jesse Owens was the hero of the 1936 Olympics. He won four gold medals in Munich, Germany, with Hitler there. Mm -hmm. And Hitler was hoping that all his German athletes would win everything, and it was Jesse Owens who embarrassed Hitler. In fact, Hitler refused to speak with him after Jesse won his fourth gold medal. I got to do a telethon in Cleveland with Jesse Owens. Mm. And on my staff was the great Paul Warfield, a Hall of Fame uh, receiver, Played on the unbeaten Miami Dolphins team. He was on my staff along with Joe Castiglione, who is in his 38th year of being the broadcaster for the uh, for the Boston Red Sox. But how would I judge these people? Are they real people? Are they nice people? Mm-hmm. That's what you right? you look for. And I, mm-hmm. in my 36 years, Bart Starr interviewed him right, him right for the refrigerator game mm-hmm. on radio. I mean, just the nicest people you could ever meet. Once in a while, you run across somebody who's not so very nice, but you just brush it off and move on. Right. Yep. Speaking of my own Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Found a record of them, but uh, I just thought I'd show that to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, their, their coach, Don Shula, yeah. was from Painesville, Ohio, which is right outside of where I lived when I worked for NBC in Cleveland, Mentor, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, got, I got to meet Shula a few times. Not a real friendly guy to interview, but... Mm-hmm. Look at his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, uh, football, uh, you did a TV show uh, right after uh, the newscast. 
uh, for the Vikings. I did the Bud Grant show for seven yep. years. Bud 110 Grant. shows with Bud. Mm-hmm. That was great. And, um, yeah, and the theme song kind of went uh, something like this. It's the Bud Grant Show, starring Bud Grant with Tom Ryder. Right here, we're going to talk about the latest happenings with the Vikings this week. And here it is, Bud Grant and Tom Ryder. That brings back good memories. Oh, okay. You know what song this is, right? Mm-hmm. No, know. What, what is the name of that song? When I, I went to Cleveland, I, I got that music and I used it for the Cleveland Browns highlight show yeah. that we won two Emmys with. But what is, it's been such a long time. What is the name of that? It's uh, Question 6768 by Chicago. Boy, it's From their good. first album, 1969. It was a fairly big hit, actually. But that's the middle part of the song. Right. Well, and, yeah, the uh, now another song that uh, actually uh, was made uh, on another TV station with Dave Moore, WCCO, is More on Sunday. They used uh, two songs. Um, uh, what was it? A Jethro Tull song. Thick as a Brick, and uh, a Blood, Sweat, and Tears song. They just meshed them together. But that one I remembered because um, when I was still in high school, uh, one of our other uh, disc jockeys there played this song and was imitating, and now, uh, The Bud Grant Show with Bob Bruce. And I'm thinking, who, what? Bob Bruce? Who's that? Well, he replaced (laughs) me after I I left for Cleveland. That's right. So he was going Bob Bruce, and he played this part of the song. But I thought I would uh, play that little part of it. Uh, I've always loved this song, actually. Yeah, that's really, to me, it's it's good to have a good theme song. And I did use that same music in Cleveland for the Ah. Cleveland Browns highlight show. I wonder, I, I'm sure Chicago should get the royalties for that every time you play. You know, I left that up to management because I do, okay. when I was a disc jockey, you have to log what music you're playing and you have to send in money to, mm. what is it now, the, what are the two organizations? ASCAP, BMI. BMI. Yeah, BMI, ASCAP. You had to log every song. Yep. For my show, I have to pay like $50 every month for copyrights when I play uh, okay. recorded music, okay. so uh, I'm supposedly yeah. covered here. A package deal. Yeah, I better be. Yeah, rather <laughs> so. than... Having to uh, write out checks for thousands of dollars to every copyright holder. If that happens, my show stops because yeah. uh, basically I let the that. music do the talking. Right. So, and um, well, we're doing the talking today more than the music, and that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I put this record away, um, what else uh, do we have here that I can throw into you tonight? Here, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't done this. We got to talk about the, your bowling show. Bowling for Dollars. Yeah, that's right. I yes, I did. Uh, found one of the theme songs from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, can't, I, I don't remember what we used to use, but I know that I did, yeah. oh, I don't know, I guess over about 430 shows. You and must it, have used this. You'll know this in a minute. Yeah. yeah. yeah keep the ball rolling. Uh, yeah, did, I did that. Hit, uh, uh, by Jay and the Techniques originally, but this is Al Hurt's song. Uh, well, that, that show had phenomenal ratings. It, yeah. it was on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, mm-hmm. and Hubbard paid me $35 a show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, But then we became number one in the ratings for quite a few years, and I did get up to $250 a show. Yeah, that was fun. I used to bowl when I was a kid. I was never very good at it, but I used to set pins at a bowling alley in St. Louis, and... Uh, and I knew the tavern crowd, the bowling crowd, and that, that fit right in with my, my background. Right, right before uh, 
before automated uh, pins. That's right. Oh, you know, this, this you is all... have some kid there that wouldn't just literally physically. Yeah, we were the automation. I, I, my yeah. ankles and my shins are still sore <laughs> from pins going up against them. I suppose. I bowled on a uh, bowling team for about seven, eight years. I was the worst bowler ever, but I love bowling. I just throw that thing down there. You know, I had a Hall of Fame bowler Dick Weber on my show on Bowling for Dollars, and I introduced him. Uh, he had just won a tournament in Kansas City the night before, and he and I were co-chairman of a charity bowling tournament. So he flies up to the Twin Cities, and I we, we kind of did a little spoof job. I said, ladies and gentlemen, right now we have from Fridley, Minnesota, a uh, man who wants to win our jackpot, Richard Weber. And Dick comes, <laughs> he's got a tie on. And I said, Mr. Weber, uh, what do you do and so forth? And I let him have four tries to get a strike, and he couldn't get a strike. <laughs> you know, but he was a, uh, he's a hall of, God rest his soul, great guy. And he and I were chairman of that bowling tournament a couple of years. Wow, neat. <laughs> Dick Weber. Dick Weber, okay. I know I have a record somewhere of one, uh, some famous bowler, how to, how to bowl, actually. And this is how you do it. You gotta uh, curve your ball. You gotta have the right ball, uh, 12 pounds or whatever. You gotta have the right shoes and make sure that bowling alley is greased down really good for that ball to get you the right strike you want. You know. You know, I was a 165 bowler in a league, which is average at best. But if we ran short of time, I had to roll a, a couple of bowling balls, <laughs> and and I can remember I I did, had to do that 12 times. Mm during the 400 and some odd shows that I did. And I got eight strikes out of the 12 tries. And that had to nice be because I'm left-handed, you know, and people thought, well, he really knows what he's doing. No, it was pure <laughs> luck. One thing I do remember about uh, the Bowling for Dollar show was um, I wasn't quite understanding what it was when I was a kid. Uh, if you get a strike, you get a pin pal. And I thought, oh, you mean you get like a pen pal, like to write to or something? <laughs> so... I didn't quite know what the the pin pal was. Well, I had to go to uh, yeah. Baltimore for training for that. Believe it or not, oh. it was uh, it was a syndicated show by uh, Claster Productions. They also owned Romper Room, and uh, I, I went through the training with uh, I can't think of his name now. He was the voice of the uh, Los Angeles Lakers for years, and we bo- he, he did it out in Los Angeles, and uh, I did it in in the Twin Cities, but. Uh, it that show was phenomenal. Uh, people would send in postcards. They were our pen pals. We'd put the postcards in this huge barrel, spin the barrel, pull out a card, and whatever the bowler won, you had to split that with your pen pal. And our biggest winner was Paul Thorson from I think South St. Paul, and he won four thousand dollars. He won two thousand that day, and uh, now you had to get strike one, strike two, and you had to get a third. Okay. And he got all three. So he won 2000 and his pen pail won 2000 And every week we'd have to change cards in that barrel, and they were coming in by the thousands. Wow. The show had phenomenal <laughs> ratings. And I like to think I had a little something to do with that. It was a lot of fun. I remember in uh, it had to be May 1974. I was over at a, um, a school friend's house. We were just uh, ro- riding our bikes around St. Louis Park here in Minnesota. And... He wanted me to uh, come over to his house for something. I can't remember what. We just stopped over there around dinner time, and we we went inside. And actually, he was um, uh, 
he was Chinese actually he came directly from Hong Kong the year before they came to America and he spoke fluent Chinese and all that it was like I'm like what are you saying something like uh, hello how are you off work something like that and his uh, parents uh, did not speak very good English yet and but we went over there and they're asking you know my friend you know in Chinese oh where have you been are you going to be home or who's this you know and while while his mom is watching TV, what's on Bowling for Bowling for Dollars? <laughs> it was all over the country. Yeah, and it was your show. And so while while there, well, no, my show was just here in the Twin Cities, right? Mm-hmm. But it, a lot of major markets. It was a very popular right, show. Right, there is a local yeah. version in each of the markets with their own local personality right. hosting it. Oh, uh, well, then we were watching the Salt Lake City version. No, just kidding. Uh, no, we were watching the Twin City area. Uh, but no, it was fun. And then I remember hearing, and you get a pen, you know, I think you were holding up something in uh, Mr. Johnson, and also you get a pen pal. And again, I was thinking, oh, there's that pen pal thing going yeah. on. Yeah, well, that's how, but I, I, I had, there were seven contestants per show. And before each show, and we used to tape four shows on Sunday mornings. Oh, and that's uh, and we tried six but, but but when you finished, I, my brain was like totally frozen. I'd walk out and I'd think, "Where am I? <laughs> what Oops. city am I in?" You know. And but uh, but I would interview each contestant before we taped the shows and take notes down. So when they walk through the door, I at least have met them, and I knew yeah. something. I say, "Oh, you're you're John Smith. You you work at 3M Company," and then I'd let them carry it from there. You know, it was really, it was a people show, right? And yeah. that just fit me to a T. I loved it. Well, and then also what I, as far as the, uh, the pin pals aspect of it, I always remember when you would uh, give the address for that, you would always admonish people writing in no picture postcards. Right. You just had to send right. in a regular Oh, yeah. Right. No picture postcards. And I remember yeah. one time you pulled out a, a, a postcard and had an airplane on it or something. You kind of held it up and said, you know, now, once again, let me remind right. you, no picture postcards. Only one time did we have to stop the tape out of all of the 430 shows that I did. Uh, we had a lady on. She was an older lady, nice lady. And I said, well, what, what have you done in your life that's interesting? She said, well, I was a stripper. And I thought, oh, my, uh, well, you don't look like a stripper. Oh, really? She lifts up her sweater. Okay. That we so stop the tape, ma'am. You just can't do that, you know. So we tried it again, and she behaved herself. And but that was probably the weirdest thing. Well, that would have made would have been good for the blooper reel, but uh, yeah. I suppose they well, didn't save it. Uh, no. I was going to ask you if there's any uh, bloopers uh, from Bowling for Dollars. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm a channel a KSTP has probably got them in the rack there <laughs> somewhere. But we only had, that was the only time we ever had to stop the tape. Okay, that's not bad out of 430 some odd shows. Not and, bad. And we had John Deegan <laughs> was the director, and, and the, the, the technicians at both Channel Five and Carol Eleven were great. Uh, I was very lucky to work with some fantastic technicians. So you're only as good as they are. I wonder if Ron Stover is still working at Carol Eleven. I know the name. Yeah, Ron Stover. I don't know if he's still there. Yeah. I, I he invited me down to Care Eleven around 1988 for some reason I can't remember what for. Um, actually, WWTC was running on audio the Care Eleven news from five yeah. to five thirty. I can't remember why. Jeff probably knows more about it because you're more into that. But yeah, everything stopped for Care Eleven for the half hour, and for some reason I think I had yeah. to give run a cassette tape of some songs that they wanted to use for Christmas coming up. Maybe that was it. 
And I remember running into an, another girl that I used to go to high school with that was working at CARE 11. I'll ask you off microphone who, if you remember her. Um, but I, for some reason, I remember, wait a minute, did I know that girl? And, and Ron showed me around CARE 11, and I told him, I've been here before. I, I, I was here when it opened up in 1974, their new studio, after 11 left the Calhoun Beach Manor, uh, you know, that's right near Lake. Lake right. Calhoun and all that. Well, so. They have beautiful studios. I used to play yeah. golf right across the street before I was with Channel 11, and I would look over to that building and say, boy, that I'd, I'd like to work there someday. And I was lucky. I, I got to work uh, 13 years. Yeah. Oh, also, something came up, too, that um, I wanted to mention. Uh, Jesse Ventura, you uh, helped him? Yeah, well, Jesse Ventura, the famous wrestler and yeah. governor of uh, Minnesota. All right. Uh, Jesse and I, and, and I did some announcing for the... Uh, the wrestling show for Vern Gagne, and not not for uh, being on air, but going down and being the ring announcer. And Jesse and I got to know each other, and we were paired together in a golf tournament, uh, the Vikings golf tournament out at uh, Rolling Springs. Rolling think, Green. Ro- Rolling Green. Yeah, out in Hamble. Yes, yes, and, um, and so I, we got to play uh, in, in that tournament. Got to know Jesse pretty well, and he came to me. And he said, Tom, I have been told, I, he said he couldn't wrestle anymore. He almost died of steroid overuse. Oy. All of these guys are pumped up on steroids. Oh, yeah. He said, do you think I have a chance for, in, on television? And I said, let's give you a try. So I went and talked to my boss. We got a crew. And we, we let him do four shows. And uh, they were good. And he, uh, he's a natural gift of, gift of gab. And we ran all four shows. They were highly uh, rece- uh, received by the audience. Then he took those four stories and played him for Vince McMahon at the WWF and became the voice of that wrestling and the rest. Of, and he uh, gives me um, credit for that in a book about Minnesota wrestling where he That's says, nice. my good friend Tom Ryder gave me the chance to uh, to do television. And uh, so I'm the guy you can uh, you can say you can either blame me or thank me. OK, but, but he's a good guy. And well, I love uh, <laughs> I love Jesse and his and his wife, Terry. That's good. I think Terry came from St. Louis Parker, lived in St. Louis That's what St. you Louis told Park. me. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. My brother upstairs knew all these people. And, uh, he, I, you know, I could lassle him down here, and he could probably do a four-hour talk show <laughs> of his memories. He knows more about uh, history than I do. And all of us put together, well, maybe not all of us put well, together. Well, they did the wrestling show at Channel 11, and, yeah. and when I came back from Cleveland, I'll never forget, uh, the guy used to carry a, a boombox radio with him. Oh, rock and roll Zoomhoff. Yeah, Zoomhoff. Yeah. And he was wrestling somebody, and the, they set up the ring in the <laughs> studio. And I think it was on a Saturday or a Sunday. And the, the other wrestler took that boombox and threw it down on the ring and shattered it. No. Well, you know, that wasn't part of the show. I found that out. I'm walking down the hall, and Zoomhoff has got this guy by the throat. Why did you do that? Why did you throw my radio wow. on? I thought, well, that's one part of wrestling that isn't that isn't uh, pre-designed. Yeah. So, the uh, now I I know a little bit. Uh, one of my friends actually is like a big um, wrestling historian too. Um, I guess I can mention him. A guy named Mick Harsh who uh, knows about Minnesota history and wrestling in general. But the one thing I remember watching uh, when I was a kid was the All-Star Wrestling, the Vern Gagne version, before he sold it off to Vince McMahon and it went yeah. national in 84. But um, 19, uh, January 1970, we're all, uh, we're all upstairs watching All-Star Wrestling. My other two brothers were really into it. I was only you know six, seven years old at the time. And uh, it was the... 
the two famous guys other than Vern Gagne are Rush, uh, Russia, uh, Crusher and Mad Dog Vachon. Oh, yeah. And for some reason, Crusher came out in a suit and tie, and Mad Dog and his brother Butcher ripped up the suit, and they got into it, and for some reason, uh, a Crusher threw Mad Dog out of the ring, and he was... Uh, Mad Dog was uh, an incident that went horribly wrong. He was uh, putting a razor blade to his bald forehead, yeah. and Rush uh, Crush, Crusher came out and kicked him right when he was doing that. And he came, uh, Mad Dog came back and wrestled a little bit, and it was blood all over the place. And that was something I will never forget. And I, I remember asking my friend Mick about that whole thing. He says you should just interview Mad Dog or something about that. I said what happened that time? It was so devastating to me. I'm seeing blood all over the place and I'm only a little kid that night they had the live wrestling show at the Minneapolis Auditorium Mad Dog couldn't uh, it, it was a real incident. Uh, yeah. He couldn't wrestle that night. He did come to speak to everybody saying, I can't wrestle because of my injury, all this. And they were like, oh, you know, all that and sympathy there. You know, he uh, he wound up driving a uh, one of those trams out at the Minnesota Zoo. Oh, he did. He was like a tour guide, and, but he was also the guy who drove the... I was uh, <laughs> I went oh. out there one time and then, I think that's Mad Dog Machad <laughs> driving this thing. That could be, yeah, that could have yeah. been him in the later year. He lost his leg to a car accident. You remember uh, Luthez, that name, uh, famous wrestler from St. Louis, Wild Bill Longson? No, I don't yeah, I used so. to, uh I used to play baseball with Wild Bill Longson's son, uh, Dick Longson, and Wild Bill would come to the games. There's this big guy sitting in the stands, <laughs> and they, is that Bill Longson? Yeah, that was him, but he, he really a big name in St. Louis. Mm. Uh, you know, KBL. Vern made, uh, told me, that back in the 50s, he was making $100,000 a year wrestling. Oh, he back was? Back in the 50s. 50s? Wow, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah, a lot of people don't know he played football at the University of Minnesota. That of, I didn't out know. Out of Robbinsdale High School. Mm-hmm. I knew he was from Robbinsdale, yeah. Larry Hennig was also from Robbinsdale, yeah. another wrestler. Um, oh, by the way, that incident that we were just talking about, it's on YouTube. Anyone can check it out. So, uh, wrestling Mad Dog Vashon. And then there was Russia. promoter Wally Carbo. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget him. With the high forks. He used to sell TV sets out of the trunk of his car. During in, the wrestling. And, and during, after the matches. <laughs> People would come out or wherever. Want to buy a TV? He's selling TVs. <laughs> oh, man. I've met some characters, let me tell you. And he's one of them, too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a good I, character, a good guy. Yeah, there were some, I met a couple people. I did meet Mad Dog when I was eight years old, but I didn't ask him about that yeah. incident. But it was like, hi, how are you? Wow, I met someone famous. Well, and, Nick Bockwinkle was about as nice a guy as you could ever find. Oh, I have somewhere in my tape collection, I hope I still have it. We did an interview at WWTC with Ray Stevens. Another, the Ray, the Crippler mm-hmm. Stevens. And I did meet, uh, what's his face, El Derusha, the producer of All-Star Wrestling. Yep. And yep. and um, who was the other guy? Uh, Ray Stevens, him, and, oh, Dodger Van Kent. Oh, Roger Van Kent. Roger, yeah. With the big voice. Yep. That's right. All-Star Wrestling. I got to work with him. I got to work with Mel Jazz. Mel Jazz is another character. Father, Mel Jazz for the furniture barn. Yeah, he reminded me of uh, Ed McMahon in a lot of ways. People would come on to his show and he said, "What do you do for a living?" Well, I dig sewers. Well, you got a great job. You got a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mark Kearney from uh, Honeymooners. You're bringing back a lot of memories here. Why? Thank you. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Good ones, I hope. (laughs) So. But um, anyway, but that's um, some of the memories that we have uh, for you. 
And anyway, but today we've had in the studio the legendary Jeff Lonto and the very legendary Tom Ryther, and soon to be legend in about 20 years from next year. Stuart Held, this has been Songs from the Basement, and our this is our guest star uh, interview uh, series that we're doing every so often. And I know I'm keeping everybody up past their bedtime, but uh, don't forget yeah. the book, The Humble yeah, Shine Kid. Yeah, that's right, the yeah. book. We want everyone to actually yeah, at least name look of the at book. It, get a uh, copy. This is Tom Ryther's book. Uh, it's called The Humble Shine. It's our book. You and I, we we collaborate. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it, <laughs> except well, you're it. cheering for us. What the right. hell? Yeah, that's rah, good. rah rah rah. <laughs> yeah, The Humble Shine Kid: The Amazing Story of a Broadcast Journalist, a memoir by Tom Ryther with Jeff Arlanto, forward by Barry Zavan. Plus others, and you can uh, Jerry find Burns, it. Yep. former coach of the yeah, Vikings. Yeah, he's got right, a quote. Ron Yeri, NFL Hall of Fame. Yep, and uh, you can find this by going to the website for the publisher. Uh, well, the company is Studio Z Seven Publishing, and the website is Studio Z Seven dot com. That's Z as in zebra. Studio Z Seven dot com. There's a link right at the top of the of the uh, the homepage. You click into that, and you find information about the book and how to order it. And there is a print version, and there's also an electronic book version that you can get as well. It's soft cover and black and white photos, but in the electronic book version, the uh, the photos that were originally in color do appear in color on that. So StudioZ7.com. Any other thing or anything you guys want to talk no, about? I really today? enjoyed it. It's nice yeah. to, uh, we did too. to look back over my 36 years and... Uh, you know, I, I was very lucky to come up here. Uh, like I said, I was sort of getting tired of covering murders. And uh, the sports job opened at KSTP-TV, which was, and still is, a great news station. And uh, I uh, I was pretty lucky to get that job. I guess they had looked at about 300 different tapes. And they picked me, and I was pretty lucky to get the job and spent uh, seven good years with them and then two and a half years with uh NBC in Cleveland and in New York, but I missed my kids so bad I wanted to come back to oh. uh, Minnesota, and that's when I came back to, uh, well, I, I came back to do a commercial for Jim Loopy and Oldsmobile. Jim was a very good friend of mine, and while I'm walking down the hall at Channel 11, Bob Franson comes up. He says to me, you want to come back? I said, let's talk, and <laughs> yep. we reached a deal, and I hated to leave Cleveland because it was a wonderful station, a wonderful crew, but I wanted to come back to my kids, and uh, I proved to myself that I could, could cut it in the rarefied atmosphere of working for NBC. I'll never forget looking out the window at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, looking out to the west over the Hudson River, saying, you know, I've proven to myself that I can do this, but I'm a Midwestern guy, and I want to come back, and God was good to me. I came back and had 13 wonderful years. You did, yeah. A lot of people watched you, too. When the, oh, um... One thing I do want to play before we uh, wrap the show up here, I've got it all queued up for you. You might remember this. Um, it was just a little blurb on The World Today. This comes from December 19th of 1973. It's it's not the best quality because I recorded it from my little Panasonic uh, tape recorder, uh, but it is something called Newsreel. And here's what we uh, had for it. Maybe this will bring back memories uh, for you here. Remember, not the best call on here. Great money for a trip to Vienna next July. The Minneapolis Rudolf High Concert Band is selling tons of nourishing grapefruit and oranges. 
alternatively help tip those high seas. The Animal Humane Society recently helped holiday shoppers find that gift that keeps on giving. How could you resist this bundle of joy with this cuddly pup? A local discount chain recently advertised engine analyzers on sale for $37.88. One problem, the regular price is only $11.88. Oh well, holiday stores, that's newsreel. Okay. Anyway. Uh, that was newsreel. Right I, I keep waiting for somebody when I was listening to that. Oh, the humanity! <laughs> when the Hindenburg went down. Right? Oh, the humanity! <laughs> so you didn't uh, like newsreel, well, I, I guess. Re- I remember the uh, uh, the newsreel logo, and they had T-shirts with it, which showed like an old-fashioned uh, movie camera with uh, the KSTP logo on it. And those were around town quite a bit back in those oh, days. Yeah. That was circa 1973 or so. They knew how to promote KSTP, yeah. did they? were very good at that. Yeah. I'd like to know the theme song that they were using. It sounds like this land is your land, only yeah, uh, kind of Dixieland style. Right, right. Who but, would we talk to to find out about uh, that anymore? Probably but, uh, find it somewhere. Yeah, I would like to it find probably, all those probably things. probably came off a record. I mean, yep. I'm just trying to think of who that could be. Um, okay, anyway, um, anything else? or um, well, I want to thank you for inviting me here, and, well, and I know Jeff feels that way, so yep. we're a good team, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Yes, yes you are. Good. If you guys want to come back and talk about history or, or murder yeah. stuff or whatever. Uh, or the James are, Gang. Or the yeah. James Gang. If you want to do that, we, we can do it again on some other yeah. time. You know, my so. prized possession is a feather from the duster. That Jesse James was using when he was shot by Bob Ford in 1882. That was given to me by Jesse's grandson. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wait, oh, that was somebody else. Okay, Jesse James. You know what, though? Uh, one last uh, little thing here. The Brady Bunch had an episode where Bobby Brady was really into Jesse James. And um, they, they just played that on uh, one of the local cable stations, uh, like on Sunday afternoons. So. Oh well, I would. I just thought. Well, I being a, I'm a native Missourian, although I've been up here since 1971, but uh, you know, I I did a lot of research on it. And I've got a lot of interesting things to tell people if you ever want to do that. But but Jeff, thank you for coming too. Uh, uh, good Jeff, sitting yeah. with you again here. Well, we're a good and, team. We had a good yeah, conversation. Was... A lot of other stuff came out that's not in the book, but uh, but one more reminder. Uh, you know, check out or uh, take a look at uh, Tom Rather's memoir, The Humble Shine Kid. Uh, on StudioZ7.com. It is published by Studio Z7 Publishing in Minneapolis. That's Z as in zebra, StudioZ7.com. And it's moderately priced. Moderately priced. You yeah. can afford it. And there's a print it's version a good... and an ebook version. You yeah. Can get. It, it's a good read, too, so uh, you'll learn a yeah, lot about. Lot, uh, lots of stories. Exactly. And pictures, too. <laughs> and you never know. I mean, in the near future, you never know. Tom and Jeff probably will come back again and uh, uh, we'll do another show on another subject if they want to do Thank it. Thank you, Stuart. Really Sounds appreciate good. it. You're welcome. Thank you for coming down, Tom. Thank you for coming down, Jeff. This was a lot of fun, to be honest with you. So. Uh, All right. Uh, when we get bored, we'll do another uh, show like this if we want to. Please come back. The door is always open. You know why? My brother took the door and uh, he threw it out. Uh, every night <laughs> when we'd finish the news on The World Today with Ted O'Brien, and just after they cut his mic, he would say, and good night for NBC News. <laughs> <laughs> 
and good night for NBC News. <laughs> anyway, uh, just to remind you, this is Stuart Held, really. Uh, Songs from the Basement. This is what the whole show is, but this is our guest uh, series. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back another time with uh, other people to chat with and swap some neat stories for all of you out there. Thank you for joining in, and we'll see you again on the next time. Have fun, be careful, and don't worry, NBC News is out there somewhere. Night, all.